Amen. You may be seated. Uh, today is a family Sunday when we have a, uh, the fourth Sunday of the month. We all have everyone in the auditorium together. So you are, if you're visiting, you are going to hear a little bit more chatter than normal. Um, but that is a good thing. We, we enjoy having the families all together. Now we do have a handout for the kids. So if you came in and you did not get a bulletin, and like always, uh, probably not just the kids, some other people enjoy those as well. Um, If you don't have that, make sure you go out and grab it because you are going to be helping me as we go. Today we are starting a new series. And as Rob just prayed, we are going to be looking at the book of Jonah. And Jonah is a different kind of story than we would expect. What are the normal elements in stories? What are the things that you expect to have in a story? Just just call some of those out. Okay, you have the main characters. In Jonah, we're going to see the main characters of God and Jonah. Good. What else do you have? What? Okay, there's a beginning. There's going to be an introduction. There's going to be something that happens. Now, what do you usually have in the beginning that causes you to want to read the middle? Because Ryan said we have a beginning, middle, and end. What do you have that that makes you want to read past just the introduction? A conflict. Tension. Something's wrong. Then, if it's a good story, what happens with that conflict. There's resolution. There's a climax, the apex of the story. It goes somewhere. And then as Ryan pointed out, at the end, what do you have? The end. A conclusion. It finishes. Now, most of the time when you come to the story in the Bible, if you come to stories in the Bible, you're going to see all of those parts. Sometimes they're long stories that take whole books or multiple books. Sometimes they're really short, like when you go to genealogies. person was born, they had these kids, and they died. And then we go to the next story, and they're very short. But Jonah's missing something from that normal arc that we would expect in a story. Jonah does not have an ending. Not at least the type of ending we would expect. It doesn't leave us satisfied. Oh, this was good. Yeah, you know what? You took me on a journey. I finished it, and I just, I feel good. Kind of like when you do, when you reach the end of a novel. You're a little sad because the book's now done, but but you feel good about it. Or if you don't, you don't recommend it to anyone. But Jonah ends without an ending. But it's intentional. It's not because Jonah doesn't have an ending. It's not because the author didn't know that it got lost in the ages and people are like, well, we we need to figure out what happened to Jonah. We need to find out what happened. No. The author intentionally made a decision to leave Jonah's ending out. And we're going to figure that out when we reach the end. Now, like I said, this is a family Sunday, so we have kids here. So kids, in a little bit, we're going to hear the story of Jonah. 
And I've asked some friends of mine to help me with the story. We're going to hear the story, but I need help from you guys. All right? There's three things that I need the kids to help me with. The first, I need you to listen to the story. You're going to hear the story, and I want you to pay attention, to listen to it. The second thing I need help with, I need you to use your imagination. We have a gift of imagination. One of the, my favorite things growing up was listening to Adventures in Odyssey. Who, who here has listened to? All right, yeah, we have a lot of people. Adventures in Odyssey is radio drama. It's a Christian radio drama where they tell stories and you imagine them. And it was always interesting when I would see like the actual cover Adventures in Odyssey and I'm like, Connie doesn't look like that. Connie looks totally different because in my mind I had imagined them. I want you to imagine the story, okay? So... First thing, kids, listen. Second, imagine. Third, I want you to draw. Okay, you're going you're gonna to draw the story. The first thing what you can do right now is on the back, there's a big picture of Jonah. You can start there. You can start drawing that picture. Then as we go through the story, each part, we're going to draw the next parts of the picture. The big idea in Jonah is that God mercifully pursues his unmerciful messenger in order to reach the lost. God mercifully pursues his unmerciful messenger in order to reach the lost. Now, as we're starting this series, there's a helpful question for us to ask. That we need to ask, why are we studying Jonah? What are we hoping to accomplish? What's our goal to learn from this book? Because if we just come and we have no mission, we don't really understand what we're doing, we're not going to glean the harvest that God wants from, for us in this book. So I have two missions, two areas that I hope that God uses the book of Jonah to help our church to grow. Throughout this whole series, not just for this morning, through each week, I hope that in some way we get closer to these two missions. Here's the first mission. That we would be a church where God accomplishes his purposes through us and not in spite of us. That God would accomplish his purposes through us not in spite of us. The second mission that I want for us when we finish this, this book is that we would have a heart of mercy like God has a heart of mercy for the lost. That our hearts would imitate and reflect God's heart of mercy for the lost. So how are we going to do that? That's our target. That's what we're aiming for. Well, we're going to do that first by looking at the overview of the book. We're going to look at the whole book this week. We want to see the big ideas, the big, the big picture of what Jonah is. Then, for the following four weeks, with one break in the middle, we're going to look at back and see each chapter of Jonah. I know a lot of you have, been, have actually studied Jonah recently. Cindy led a Bible study through Jonah. So I know a lot of you already have a good idea of Jonah. And if you've studied Jonah, or I hope most of you read Jonah this last week, um, as Stephen asked you to, I hope that you're, you know that there's so many ironies 
nuances, connections there. We're going to see those the subsequent weeks. This week, we're going to do a big picture. And these are the themes that I want us to see this book. It's written in your handout. This morning, I want to look at these three themes as we see the book. First, God pursues the lost. Second, God accomplishes his purposes. Third, salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, each one of those threes, we're not going to go one at a time. We're going to see each element of those throughout the book. But those are the three themes that we want to see. God pursues the lost. God accomplishes his purposes. Salvation belongs to the Lord. All right, kids, are you ready to hear the story? Now, we're going to hear it in different parts. For this first part, if you look on your paper, it's going to be in the top corner right here. Part one, I want you to draw this picture. I want you to draw a ship in the middle of a huge storm. Now, remember the three things. Listen, imagine, draw, as we now hear the first part of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us, on whose account has this evil come upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. 
So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Right away, you can sense the drama of the book. We see at the beginning those two characters that we mentioned that begins with the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. But we also see that second character, Jonah. Now we know that Jonah is a prophet. Now kids, what is a prophet? A prophet is a messenger for God. God gives the prophet a message, and then the prophet goes and tells people that message. So we know who the main characters are from here, but also in this introduction, what we talked about, a good story, that there's some tension. There's something that needs to be resolved. And in the first paragraph, we see two tensions. The first tension is Nineveh's evil. God tells Jonah, go talk to Nineveh because their evilness has come before me. So the tension is, the question is, what is God going to do to Nineveh? What's going to happen to Nineveh? That's our first tension. But what's the second tension? What does Jonah do? Does he obey? Does he go after and he do what God told him to do? No. He runs away. He's a messenger who refuses to take the message. So the second tension is, what's God going to do to Jonah? So what's God going to do to Nineveh because of their evil? And what's God going to do to Jonah for his disobedience. See, what we see here is Jonah is refusing and rebelling against God. Now, we're going to get into the reason why. We're going to see more later. Chapter 4 is going to go in and show us why Jonah is refusing. But right now, what we have is someone who's disobeying God. What would we expect? What would be a reasonable expectation for God to do to Jonah? This last week, um, I have had the comedy of errors when it comes to lawnmowers. It was time, uh, right before it snowed, on, you know, it was, it was, grass was getting super tall, and I was like, I need to get this. Go to my first lawnmower. It's a riding lawnmower uh, from like the 80s or 90s. I'm not sure. It's old. Um, But I go to turn it on and nothing. And I see that there's one part that's broken. So I go and I, I, it's a fuel filter and it just crumbles in my hand. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to fix that. I go to the store, get a new one, come back. While I'm fixing that, the the, uh, fuel line goes to the fuel pump and the fuel pump breaks. Well, that part I can't find, so I have to order that. I'm like, fine, I'll go to my push lawnmower. The lever that you hold down for the push lawnmower, go to press that, snaps the cord. All right, 
that's fine. You know what? I've been meaning to get the church's lawnmower out. It hasn't been used in a couple of years, and I want to make sure that the gas is working on that and stuff, and it's going, pull it out, put some gas in it, get it started. But then I notice it's a larger lawnmower that the mowing deck, it hangs on two pieces of metal. On one side, it's broken, and it's dragging in the grass. It's fine. I'll get a trailer. I'll get my brother-in-law. He can help me weld it. We'll get it working. We do that. Start it up. Engage the blades. The blades are hitting against each other. All right. We'll just take the belt and we'll reset it so the blades aren't doing that. As we are trying to reset the blades, the cable broke. The, The belt broke. But it's a special belt. It's a belt with teeth on it that you can't just buy anywhere. It has to be ordered. All of these things keep happening. Now, at some point... You have no idea how much I was like, I'm going to Lowe's, I'm buying a new lawnmower, I'm done with this. Because if a tool doesn't work, what's the point? What's the point in keeping something that doesn't do what it's supposed to do? What could we expect God to do with Jonah? He's told Jonah, Jonah, go take this message. And he's refused. Not only is he refused, he's running the opposite direction. He's going 2,500 miles the opposite way that he's supposed to. What we could expect is for God to just throw Jonah aside. I don't need Jonah. I'm going a different direction. But what we see is our first theme of Jonah. God pursues the lost. You remember our big idea is God mercifully pursues his unmerciful messenger in order to reach the lost. That reach the lost, we're going to use that three different ways. We're going to see three different ways that God wants to reach the lost. The first way, though, is that God is pursuing Jonah because Jonah is lost. He wants to reach his lost prophet. Jonah has lost his way. He's no longer doing what God has asked him to do. So God, rather than discarding him, rather than pushing him to the side, God mercifully pursues Jonah. He pursues his unmerciful messenger in order to reach his lost servant. We would expect him to just throw him aside. But he pursues him. We see that he pursues him by hurling a storm. A custom-made storm just for Jonah. We see that he uses the sailors. The sailors question him. They use very close words to the words God said. Arise! We see that he even uses lots. That it falls on Jonah. Again, the sailors question him. All of these things that he's pursuing Jonah. Now this is a comfort to us. God does not abandon or discard his servants. He pursues them. What a comfort that God relentlessly pursues his messenger in order to save him from his lostness. Now, I don't mean here lostness in the sense of salvation, but I do mean that he has lost his way. But there's another theme we see in chapter 1. We see that God accomplishes his purposes. One of the traps we often fall into is that we elevate the importance of man and diminish God's power. See, that it looks like that when we say, well, God had to pursue Jonah 
because God needed Jonah in order to reach the lost. He doesn't. God wants to use Jonah, but he doesn't need Jonah. Where in chapter 1 do we see that best shown? Where do we see in chapter 1 that, we don't, that God does not need Jonah? He's not pursuing Jonah because he needs him. In the salvation of the sailors. The sailors repent when they see this man who is not following. They knew he was fleeing. And God still reaches them. God uses his pursuit of his unmerciful servant as a way to reach, reach the lost sailors. That's the second way that we see God reaching the lost. Sometimes he's trying to reach his servant who's lost, but sometimes through his pursuit of that servant, others are saved. How many times do we see that, even in, in the example of, of child rearing, where the discipline of one child causes another child to change? How often can we see that in a church, a church that takes sin seriously and disciplines one and causes another to come to faith? That's the example that we see that God accomplishes his purpose. He does not need Jonah. The sailors were were saved in spite of Jonah, not through Jonah. But that leads us to that third theme that we see, that salvation comes from the Lord. Now, there's a comfort here. The mercy of God to save others. But make no mistake, the book is abundantly clear that salvation is only from the Lord. Jonah is lost and cannot save himself. The sailors are in the storm without hope. But God brings salvation. Verses 15 and 16 say that they picked Jonah up and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. These men were idol worshipers, but now they fear the Lord. The sailors are saved from the storm. The sailors are saved from their sin. But salvation also comes to Jonah. At the very end, God saves Jonah from sinking. He sends this great fish. A lot of times we think of Jonah and we think that the fish is punishment. It's not. It's deliverance. God didn't tell Jonah, hey, jump out of the ship. You want to make things right with me? Get in the water. It's not like Peter, like, hey, Peter, come to me. No, Jonah has not talked to God. Jonah has not sought God's wisdom. Jonah, by his own accord, decided, hey, you know what the solution is? All of this is happening for me. Throw me overboard. That's better than doing what God told me to do. But God saves him. God sends a fish to save him. Now, the natural thing for us to do when we're going through Jonah is to just look at Jonah and just scoff at him. What a moron. Isn't that what we do? We do that with a lot of characters in the Bible. We do that with with Peter when he denies. We do that with with doubting Thomas. But the question is, how how unlike Jonah are we? Are, Are we really that different from Jonah? 
See, out of all the characters in the book, the one that we most identify with is Jonah. Jonah is one who has a mission from God. We have a mission from God. A couple weeks ago, we looked at this passage in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What do we see here? All of us, if anyone is in Christ, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you have this mission. You have this ministry. You have the message of reconciliation. We are meant to go out into the world and tell people to be reconciled with God. Do we do our mission? Do we go after the mission the way we look at Jonah and say, Jonah, you're terrible. Why didn't you do this? If we take up the mirror and look at ourselves, are we better? I know for my sake, when I look at the mirror, I'm not. There are so many times where God puts an opportunity right in front of me and I run away where God has told me, this is your mission, and I'm ignoring it. I'm sleeping in the boat. Is God pursuing us? Is God causing us to wake up? Guys, Hillside, I have a mission for you. You are surrounded by people. Their evil has come up before me. They need to be warned. Are are we doing our job, or does God have to mercifully pursue us, his unmerciful messengers, in order to reach us who are lost so that we can reach others who are lost. All right, kids, we are now going to do the next part of our story. For this part, you're going to do part two. It's going to be up in this top corner. Here's what I want you to draw. I want you to draw Jonah praying in the belly of a fish. And let's be a little realistic here. He probably doesn't have a ton of room in there. Okay, it's not like it's real comfortable. But he's praying to God. So you can make Jonah praying in the belly of the fish as we hear this next part of the story. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. 
Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up upon the dry land. In chapter 2, we start to see some results of God's pursuit. There's some good things happening here in chapter 2. But if we pay attention, we will also see that there are some things that are missing. Good things, but not everything. First, let's, let's look at some of the good things. One of those good things is that Jonah is speaking to God. This is the first time that we've seen Jonah actually address God. Everything that happened in chapter 1 happened without Jonah seeking the Lord. That's good. It's good for him to do that. The little side note for us, why is it that it always, it's almost the last thing we do is to turn to God? Why does it take us so long? Jonah, you're in the middle of a storm. Jonah, you're going to be thrown overboard. But Jonah hasn't sought God until now. So that's a good thing. It's a demonstration of some growth. Jonah promises to obey. He says that I, what I, uh, that I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. That's growth. Now, obviously, we would have wanted him to obey from the beginning, but it's good to see here that there's some difference. We see that Jonah is thankful for his salvation. He recognizes that God saved him. The last words of his prayer are, salvation belongs to the Lord. All of these elements are good. He has good theology. He's saying things that are true. The question is, what's missing? If you look through the prayer, what's missing in Jonah's prayer? Let me ask you this question. Where is Jonah supposed to be right now? In this moment that he's in the belly of a fish, where is he supposed to be? On the way to Nineveh, maybe already there. But he's supposed to be on his way to Assyria. Where is Jonah? In the Mediterranean, in the belly of a fish. The Mediterranean is not on the way to Nineveh. Not only is he in the, uh, in the sea when he should not have been at a sea, he's also in the belly of the fish. Why is Jonah there? Why is Jonah in the Mediterranean in the belly of a fish. He rebelled. He disobeyed. That's what we see in chapter 1. Him running away from God. If that's the case, he's there because of his sin, what should we want to see in Jonah's prayer? Repentance. An acknowledgement 
of his sin. Jonah's right that salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's true. But Jonah, why are you needing to be saved? Why are you in this position? He doesn't address his own sin. Now, we will see elements of the growth in chapter 3. We're going to see that Jonah chapter 1 versus Jonah chapter 3, there's a difference there. But in Jonah chapter 4, we're going to see the evidence that this lack of asking for forgiveness, this lack of repentance, that that's there too. But again, we see comfort here. It finishes with comfort. And God, the Lord, spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now you might be wondering, doesn't seem very comforting. But it is comforting. Because even though Jonah doesn't get the big picture, even though he's missing elements, God still uses him. God still lets him be part of his plan. God continues his pursuit. God, in his pursuit of the lost, he doesn't just try it for a little bit. Ah, it didn't work. I'm done. You didn't get, get the whole thing. You missed what I was really trying to do, so we're done. I gave you a chance. God continues to pursue Jonah. He takes the growth from Jonah, and he continues that journey. The reality is for us that we never fully repent from our sins. Now, let me explain that. I don't mean to say that God does not fully pay for our sins. He does that. But the full understanding of the weight of our sins, the full understanding of the depth of our depravity is not something that we comprehend. And yet God still chooses to use us. That is a comfort. That God doesn't say you have to get it all right or you're out. He uses Christ to allow everything to be all right. God mercifully pursues his unmerciful messenger in order to reach the lost. All right, we're going to get to our next picture. So this is part three. Here's what I want you to draw. Draw Jonah preaching in Nineveh. Okay, so draw, draw Jonah preaching in Nineveh. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journeys in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, Taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them cry out mightily to God. 
Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. If we look at the beginning of chapter 3 and compare it with the beginning of chapter 1, they start almost in the exact same way. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Little demonstration of God's mercy there again. And he says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. But here's the difference. Here's the growth that we do see. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. This time, Jonah obeys. There's some growth here. And what we see, though, is that God accomplishes his purpose. God wanted Nineveh warned, and they were warned. But the greatest part of chapter 3 is in what God does. That God once again shows that salvation comes from the Lord. Look at what happens. Look at the power of obedience and the power of God's word. God says, Jonah, go tell them my words. And look, Jonah does. He walks into the city and he tells them, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight words. God obeyed, Jonah obeyed and he said the words of the Lord. And then see what God does. And the people of Nineveh believed God. From the greatest of them to the least of them. And God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. How amazing is this? God accomplished his purpose. If this chapter doesn't prove that salvation comes from the Lord, I don't know what will. In Jonah's message, eight words. Who, which one of us would hear that and think, man, that's what God's going to do? If I'm looking at the story of Jonah, I'm looking at the sailors, and I'm like, well, of course the sailors repented. They saw huge waves, and then the storm became calm. And then I'm looking at chapter 2. Well, of course Jonah is going to become better. He got swallowed by a fish. If I look at chapter 4 and see some of the miracles in chapter 4, of course, well, that, that makes sense that things are happening. I would too if I had seen things like that. But what's the miracle in chapter 3? All he says in 40 days and you're going to be overthrown. And 120,000 people repent. That's the power of God's word. That's the power of obedience. That's a comfort to us. We have a mission. We talked about 2 Corinthians and that mission that we have. That can be overwhelming. We can think that we have to do these big and grand things. We have to do miracles in order for people to come. No. We have to obey and preach God's word. God is the one that does the miracle. Salvation comes from the Lord. Here's the question. 
Do you remember the two tensions that we had at the beginning of the book? What's God going to do to Nineveh? What's God going to do with Jonah? Why not end the story here? If I'm writing Jonah, this is a good ending. Hey, what's going to happen to Nineveh? Well, they're going to repent. God's going to relent from their disaster. Great. That is a great resolution to that tension. All right, what about Jonah? Well, God's going to pursue Jonah. Jonah's going to thank God for his salvation, and then Jonah's going to obey. And because Jonah obeys, God's going to do this massive work. Great resolution. But that's not where the story ends. Why, why doesn't God end the story there? Humanly speaking, it's a great ending. Because God does not see the way people see. People look at the outside. God looks at the heart. What Jonah is missing, what God is still pursuing, is not external obedience. God is pursuing Jonah's heart. And Jonah's heart is still far from God. It is still lost. He does not have the merciful heart he should. We're going to look at chapter 4 now. Kids, here's what I want you to draw. I want you to draw Jonah angry at a dead, because there's a dead plant. Angry at God next to a dead plant. All right? So Jonah angry at God next to a dead plant. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? And also, much cattle. 
we see here a new level to Jonah's lostness. Before he ran, now he confronts. But God mercifully pursues the lost prophet. God knows Jonah is still lost. He knows that Jonah still needs to be saved. And he knows that salvation only comes from the Lord. He's not satisfied with Jonah's external obedience. What Jonah truly needs is for his heart to continue to be transformed. So it says the Lord God appointed Four times in the book, we're going to see that God appointed. He appointed the great fish. Now we see he appoints a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. We were going through the message earlier this week, um, and I was talking to Tim, and Tim brought out something to me that I did not know about this passage and really emphasizes this idea that we've been going through. The word discomfort there in chapter 4, verse 6, is the same word for evil. When in the garden that there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's the word here that is used, discomfort. He causes this plant to come up to save him from his evil. Jonah's heart is unmerciful. It's as if God is saying, Jonah, your heart is evil, but you don't see it. You think you are justified in your anger. You think it's okay to be angry at my mercy, grace, and love. And yet, you have received all of those things. You don't see your lostness. So I'm going to expose it to you. He appoints a plant. He then appoints a worm. He appoints a scorching east wind. And through that, Jonah reveals his heart. He reveals his anger at God. God, now Jonah is okay with steadfast love. At the end of chapter 2, he talks about those who sacrifice to vain idols will never see your steadfast love. Jonah's okay with him receiving steadfast love, but he's not okay with others receiving it. He doesn't want Nineveh to have that. He wants judgment and condemnation for them while mercy and forgiveness for himself. So God exposes his heart. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night, And should not I pity Nineveh, 120,000 souls? God shows Jonah his heart. He shows Jonah the wickedness of his heart so that he can reveal his own heart. Jonah, see my heart of mercy. Better than anyone else, God knows the evilness of Nineveh. Jonah might think he has a good grasp. God, you you don't understand. God knows. God knows that the price of forgiveness is going to cost his son. Jonah, you're you're not having to pay a cost like I'm going to have to pay. 
You need to pity them like I pity them. God mercifully pursues Jonah because he wants to accomplish his mission through Jonah, not in spite. This is the third way that God wants to reach the lost. God doesn't need us to reach the lost. He can do it himself, but God wants us to reach the lost. He wants to accomplish his purposes through us, not in spite of us. He wants us to have a passion for the lost to be saved. But the book ends with a question. It's the only book in the Bible that ends with a question. We don't know what Jonah does. If you're listening to the story, you're like, turn the page. What, what comes next? What happens now? What did Jonah do? Does, did Jonah change? Did he now decide that God would accomplish his purposes through him? We don't know. We don't know what Jonah decided. That's not because no one knows what Jonah decided. God knows what Jonah decided. The author knew what Jonah decided. But we aren't supposed to know what Jonah decided. The natural question is what did Jonah do next? Did Jonah finally repent? Did Jonah finally submit to God, surrender to God, and let him be used? That's the natural question. The better question is, will I? Will I surrender? Will I allow God to work through me rather than in spite of me? Hopefully by this point, we are realizing that we are not better than Jonah. God has given us a mission, but we ignore it and even flee from it. Will we finally surrender and let God accomplish his mission through us instead of in spite of us? Kids, here's the last picture I want you to draw. In the middle, you have a question mark. I want you to draw two paths, one to each side of the question mark. On one side, you can draw someone who is worshiping God, who is happy. On the other, you can do one that, a person that's going their own way. We are like Jonah. How often has God had to accomplish his mission in spite of us? That's not what we want to be. We want to be different from that. The problem is we can't. In our own strength, we can't do it. Jonah was a prophet He didn't do it. Jonah had all of these miracles and he still went the other way. Do we think that we're going to do any better in our own strength than Jonah? We need someone greater than Jonah. If you have your Bible, go to Matthew 12, verse 39. Matthew 12, 39 says this. This is Jesus talking. He answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is greater than Jonah. In Jesus, we find resolution in the story. Like Jonah, Jesus had a mission. 
Luke 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He pursued the lost. He had a purpose to save the lost. Like Jonah, Jesus proclaimed a message. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Like Jonah, Jesus' message was before his enemies. Romans 5, 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Like Jonah, Jesus gives us a miraculous sign. 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as of first, of, of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. But unlike Jonah, Jesus was always the willing messenger. For I have come down from earth, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. We need Jesus. If we want a resolution to the story, if we want to see what's going to happen with the story, we don't look for that resolution in Jonah. We look for that resolution in the work that Christ is doing in our lives. Is God going to accomplish his purpose through me or in spite of me? Jesus is, the great, is greater than Jonah. Through Jesus, God accomplishes his mission through us. Through Jesus, God gives us a new heart. Through Jesus, the work that has begun is finished. Philippians 1.6 says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We have that promise. But our desire is that we begin that work now. Here's the questions that I want each of us to ask. I'm just going to ask some questions, and I'm going to ask them in the first person. And I want all of us to ask them of ourselves. Are these things true? Have I lost my way? Have I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, but lost my way in the mission that God has given me? Am I pursuing or neglecting the mission of reconciliation God has given me? Am I ignoring God's pursuit of me by sleeping in the storm? Do I praise God for his salvation while disregarding my sin? Do I justify my sinful heart through external obedience? Do I accept God's mercy, grace, and love for myself, but demand justice and condemnation for others? Do I pity the lost like God pities the lost? Is God accomplishing his purpose through me or in spite of me? God mercifully pursues his unmerciful messenger in order to reach the lost. 
May we all surrender to God so that he gives us a heart of mercy like his and works through us and not in spite of us.